Circular Firing Squad. I'm Marty Gensius, a counseling faculty at Kent State University and a host for Circular Firing Squad. We've got four members, four questions, and four answers to each question. Questions are generated from each squad member and run from the mindful to the mindless. Let's do a roll call. Hey, everyone. Dr. Gina Martin. I'm an assistant professor at University of Wisconsin Whitewater and co host of Supervision Time. Hi, Steph Martyr here. I am a doctoral candidate at Kent State University, practicing clinical counselor and co-host of Grad School Deconstructed. Hey, everyone. Jen Cook, associate professor, New England College. And Gina, you've got the first question tonight. So my question to kick us off is, what is currently or what was your favorite or most gratifying part of the dissertation writing process? And uh, I'm, on the, I'm the first one on this one. Um, My dissertation writing process was kind of crazy because we lived in a small duplex, a half of a duplex, I guess. And we had young toddler and a baby. And there is no time with that in a small duplex to get any writing done. So the best time for me to do it was um, three o'clock in the morning. And because I couldn't do it at night. There was just too much going on, and I was too tired from the end of the day. I was working a full-time job that it was easier for me to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. So I went ahead and woke up at 3 in the morning. Um, Kids were asleep, nothing on television, nothing to distract me from that process. And and I still do most of my writing when I do it that early in the morning now. Um, But the the most pleasant part of it was... um, I wanted some background noise, but I wanted something that I didn't know. So they had just opened a super Walmart down the street. It was like one of the first ones in in the country back when I was doing my dissertation. So I'd often get in my car at three in the morning, drive down to the super Walmart and buy music. So, you know, generally at that time, it was grunge music and I didn't know enough of it to, for it to disturb me from the writing process. So buying music was probably the thing that I remember most uh, and my most favorite part of, um, of doing the dissertation. I'm going to answer both sections there, especially because um, my favorite part is very similar to what Marty was saying. Um, While I don't get up at 3 a.m. with our 11 month old in the house, it's difficult. There's no she doesn't let you get any work done. She does not care that I am trying to write a dissertation. So um, I wake up early about 5 a.m. and I make my coffee and it's my favorite time of the day in one sense, just in the sense that I get to do something that's just mine. So that's my work and the house is quiet and nobody needs anything from me. It's beautiful. The most gratifying part of the process so far is making progress. It's getting to that next step. Um, It's kind of realizing that you're able to synthesize the information and you know that, you know, you're thinking about it, you know, closer to the way that, you know, people who have been around that material have been thinking about it for a while. 
um, you can kind of, you know, take it to that next step. I don't, you don't feel quite like it's a beginning, a beginning thing. You're asking basic questions anymore or thinking about it on that level. That and coming up with the words to describe your thoughts accurately when it's just been months and you can't, it's just not coming together. And you're like, I know what I want to say, but how do I say it? And then all of a sudden it hits. So that's also very gratifying. That's all I got so far. Gina, I see what you did there, putting the word writing into this question, as opposed to just overall, because I think we all probably would have said clicking the send button or clicking the print button, um, because something tells me that's most people's most gratifying moment. I think for me, it was finding my way through it. So it's sort of this interesting process of like wrestling with imposter syndrome while also recognizing that I had some competence in the midst of it. So I've always loved puzzles of all different types. And I started to see my dissertation as a puzzle because that's what it felt like to me of having to find certain pieces and the way that you put it together and the way that you understand your topic and convey it, like Steph, what you were just saying about like putting your thoughts into words in a way that people can understand and makes the most sense, like that felt like a puzzle to me. And so I didn't hate the dissertation process the way a lot of people do, I think, because I enjoyed the puzzle piece of it, of sort of the mind game that that I kind of turned it into, while also kind of like having this battle between, you know, the imposter who felt like she couldn't do it and this person who was starting to develop competence simultaneously. One thing I will add about music and all this, I do not listen to anything when I'm writing. Um, I have ADHD, which means I need to have silence in order to focus because I really will start singing or making up lyrics to songs that don't have lyrics already readily available. And so I would have these dance breaks. (laughs) legitimately, where I would get a song in my head because I was in silence, but I was writing. And when the song would get in my head would be too loud, I would find it on YouTube and I would get up out of the chair, my Ikea chair, which by the way, is sitting behind me. I will never get rid of this chair because it was my dissertation writing chair where I sat um, to write my, (laughs) my dissertation. And I would get up and start dancing no matter what I was wearing, which was usually in my pajamas because it was four in the morning and didn't care. That's maybe the best thing about living in college town that you can make noise at four in the morning and be dancing around to ABBA or Queen or whatever it is that strikes your fancy on that particular morning. And no one's going to care. I love these. I love hearing everyone's process. And I think for me, you know, Jen, you mentioned like that final moment of hitting send or like the defense where it goes well and you're pronounced doctor and it's all great. And, you know, everything's really fun. And for me, I, I, that was definitely gratifying and rewarding. However, I loved writing the statistics section and there's a reason for that. So I, I hate statistics. I think we all know this. And I chose to do a quantitative dissertation, which involves statistics. And so when it came time to write chapter four, for me, I started to procrastinate, which is something that I never do ever. I never do it in any other areas of my life. Um, And I think I shared on here that I started to binge read James Patterson novels to avoid writing my statistics section. I would read one to two novels a day. (laughs) And I, too, have a young toddler who was also a young toddler at the time of writing my dissertation. 
And I was able to just tune her out and binge read one to two James Patterson novels every day. So when I finally sat down to write this dissertation section four, chapter four, on the statistics, I was like shaking with trepidation. And I was like, this is not going to go well. And as soon as I did it, I started writing. It was the fastest, easiest chapter of the entire five that I wrote. And so it was, it was kind of what you were talking about, Jen, that, that balance between imposter syndrome, I can't do this. I'm not a statistician. I know nothing about statistics to, okay, I think I actually might have some competence here. And even if I don't know exactly the reason for all of these intricate statistical analyses, I at least know how to work it in SPSS. And that's a beautiful thing. So I, for me, it was writing that chapter four involving statistics, something that I thought I would never do. And it worked out. Well, this is not quite at the capacity of dissertation celebration, but my question sort of uh, ties into how do you you know, how do you celebrate? And by that, I mean, we're sort of in the middle of the semester and it's a tough time. So for me, I've got to find ways to reward myself in the process for the work that I've done so far. So my question to the group is, do you treat yourself for a job well done and how do you do it? I don't tend to, although I encourage others to treat themselves and to reward themselves and to celebrate small accomplishments and small victories, I tend to just be grateful that I don't have to feel badly that I messed something up if I did something well. It generally just alleviates any potential, you know, anxiety of of not doing a good job. Um, At the same time, I think that kind of just getting through the day, I mean, this isn't for everyone, but I I like to exercise. Um, Sometimes when it gets warmer out, going for a run, it's just like, I get to do this. I'm, I'm doing this. This helps me. Um, but just kind of zoning everything out, um, helps me get through when things are starting to feel kind of overbearing and things are droning on and you just want to get to the end, but it feels like the end is super far away. Um, maybe just trying to give yourself that little bit of time to not care. I sort of have a range here because I treat myself to jobs done, not not necessarily well done, to be completely honest, because like the procrastination that that Gina was talking about, I'm not a big procrastinator um, in recent years, but I do have a tendency toward it at times. And so sometimes just getting things done at all is (laughs) reason to celebrate from my from my perspective. And so. You know, sometimes with things that are really celebratory, you know, I will find ways to make it a little bit more special. Like I can remember um, having um, an evaluation go really well and telling one of my friends that I was going to order the good pizza as opposed to like the cheap crap that's just to like get you by. Like I was ordering the good pizza that night, you know, the one, you know, that costs more money than God, right? You just are like, yeah. But I like to have little little breaks all the time throughout the day. So I like to go for a walk, even if it's just taking 500 steps around my apartment. It helps to clear my mind. It helps my back to not feel so, uh, which happens from sitting in the damn chair all day long, sitting and staring at a computer. Um, I I like to have little trips for things that are like legit, like, you know, earning tenure or finishing my PhD, you know, things like that, you know, we have good, you know, good, big things, but 
I'm a big fan of celebrating the little ones too. And even if that means that I get 20 minutes to talk to a friend on the phone or um, sitting down and binge reading another novel. Uh, yeah, I do that too. I try not to use it as avoidance, but I do sometimes because I love to read. But I say, treat yourself for everything, not just a job well done. So similar to Steph, I love running. I run very frequently. We just got a new treadmill too for these brutal Wisconsin winters. So that's been really nice. And that's been something that is not a reward at all. That is just my daily life. That's something that I need to get by um, to do the job. For me, the the treat or the reward at the end, I think I've mentioned before, I love those gas station cake pops. <laughs> that is still a thing. We have found Casey's here in Wisconsin. So happy to report I can still access the gas station cake pops. Um, and that's usually my reward is like a sweet treat or those gas station cake pops again. Um, so I love those. And recently we've been We've been going to the store and getting like a cheesecake or like a key lime pie and eating the entire thing, which is maybe not, maybe not like self-care, but it's definitely a reward. So yeah, I like to treat myself and it usually comes in the form of sweets. Well, all interesting questions. I, I, this kind of came up as a question for me because we're in the middle of that cycle. And for me, my endorphins really get pushed by purchasing technology. About three times a year, there's a cycle of new tech that comes out and various kinds of tech. And so I always have those kinds of times to look forward to. And they generally become uh, an excuse for a job well done. And so, yeah, that's my thing. So here's a random question. Have you ever returned anything to a grocery store? I legitimately do not think I have. I may have. But there are plenty of things I've wanted to return to grocery stores that I have never returned like fruit that didn't meet my standards. You know, you cut into watermelon, it's all mealy and gross or um, apples that, you know, legitimately I've had apples have worms in the inside. But I think what I come down to is I don't return it because like fruit, you know, who knows what's going on in there? You know, they can't help it. They sold it in good faith, most likely that it was going to be good to eat. So I, I've never returned anything, but I am also a very careful shopper. I will say that, like, I look at the loaf of bread before I put it in the cart. I, I inspect vegetables and fruit. I I've usually Instacart like twice. Like I don't want other people picking my stuff because I don't want to get rotted fruit or nasty vegetables. People get me these hard tomatoes. Like, no, I don't care for that. The same thing with expiration dates. I'm very careful with expiration dates. I'm the person who's reaching to the back to get the yogurt and whatnot, which, you know, I'm a pleasure to be behind in the grocery store, as you can imagine, based on these things. Um, but I've wanted to return things, but I never done it. So I did like two days ago for the first time in a long time. It might be the only time ever. Um, I bought these little cups. They're like quinoa, vegetable, whatever. And they have like some sauce that you put on them and you don't have to refrigerate them, which is like my main thing. Cause when I'm at work, I tend to spend really long days there and I run from thing to thing, to thing, to thing, back to back to back. And so I, I eat those in between classes or in between meetings. And I love those and, and they're really good. And they're, just like a tiny little cup that doesn't require refrigeration or anything. And they're usually sealed tight. Um, however, for the first time the other day, I went to open one 
And this is like my only meal in like 12 hours. And I'm running from thing to thing to thing to thing. And sure enough, I open it up and there's mold everywhere. (laughs) And I thought it was quinoa, but it was mold. (laughs) And so I was so bummed and I had, (laughs) it was disgusting. And it was like this, uh, it was just a production. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this back and I'm just going to get another one. I'm just going to get another one. And I did. And it was great. You know, um, I, again, I, I, I don't think I've consciously returned something to the store. Mainly, I think I sort of feel like, well, you know, that's just the way it goes. I got something bad. That's what you deal with. And you deal with it that way. And I don't want to go in there and make a fuss. Now, I said consciously, subconsciously, I've returned a lot of things to the store. Things that I put on that lower rack of the shopping cart wind up not getting in my trunk, but wind up going back to the store and have gotten home. And it's like, where's this? Oh, it's uh, it was on the bottom rack. Um, it has those that has a tendency to be things like meat and other perishables that we don't want to, you know. So, yeah, I've returned a lot of things, uh, not aware of it to the grocery store. One time I almost gave them a gift of my brand new cell phone. Um, I left it in the little top area where you put the things and put it into the out, you know, put it into the, I always return carts to the rack and got halfway home and realized I didn't have my cell phone turned around and managed to get the kid who was pushing all of the carts back into the store and got my cell phone back. But generally it's things like, um, cases of soda, meat, um, sometimes bread, things that we put on the bottom rack those things I bring back to the store and get to pay for them again um, next time I trip. And I'm sure the store appreciates it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've been well tested. This is funny because first of all, Jen, I am like you, I am vigilant when I am at the store. Um, yeah. I look at everything. I kind of feel like through COVID times, I've been using some different services, perhaps a more because I don't like trusting other people to do my shopping um, for those reasons. Cause I, I think, you know, they don't care. They don't care if the expiration date is tomorrow or yesterday. Um, but actually it's, it hasn't been so bad, but anyway, yeah, I look at the dates, um, go to the back, all of that stuff. Now I remember once as Gina was talking, it reminded me that there was a time back when I was living in Providence that that I bought blue cheese dressing and I took it home and I opened it up and I mean it was covered with mold now the funny thing is is like you know what blue cheese dressing is I mean the blue cheese is mold right but this was like the fuzzy the fuzzy mold on top it it, I know what blue cheese dressing looks like so I take it back to the store and the lady you know rolled her eyes at me when I said this blue cheese has mold on it and gave me the biggest snark and attitude until I showed it to her. And she was like, Oh, okay. Um, that was a time that I completely forgot about because when I was thinking about this question, I was thinking about something maybe only a few years ago where I had bought a package item from a local store, but I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to even tell this story. There was a hair in it. Um, and I think at that point, because there was a hair in it, this was not, a bad peach. Um, so, and the store was only a few miles away. So I drove back to the store and I was like, I would like 
to return this. And I'm like, by the way, I don't even know why, but I'm like, can I have like the gas money <laughs> for having to come down here and return this? And they kind of looked at me. I'm like, look, I'm just asking for like five bucks. I'm not, I'm not trying to like, you know, be litigious here or, or have a windfall on my food with a hair in it. But they gave me a $5, you know, they said, okay, fine. I think it, it, it was worth it for them to get rid of me. Um, but I found that to be a successful grocery food return. Steph, what had a hair in it? I was trying to think for the life of me of which item it was. Was it, was it like, like a prepackaged food? Like, but okay. Like, but for like from their, their prepared food section. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Because my response to this is, didn't you eat in a college cafeteria and learn the defense mechanism for hair and food, which is, I mean, you can't eat in a college cafeteria and send back every for everything that has hair in it because you would never eat. So the defense mechanism to that is that's my hair, even if it's black, even if it's straight, even if it's gray, that's my hair. What if it is even beneath the cellophane wrapper? That's my hair. Not- no i I, i'm with you i would have done the exact same thing if i saw hair underneath the cellophane i'd have been out of there i don't like other people's hair to be honest with you like if i go in a public restroom and there's hair in the sink i will use a different sink and if they all have hair in it i have to rinse the hair down the sink before i can wash my hands i know i'm sounding like a total wackadoodle tonight but Legit, I don't like other people's hair, but I will pick it out if it's in food product in a cafeteria and say, that's my hair. You all are so brave. I, when you were talking about fruit and veggie selection, I was like, wow, I, I really admire you all because I don't even eat fruit because it goes bad so quickly. So I don't buy it. I just don't trust any of it. So I'm impressed. So what do you eat? Canned fruit? No, no None? fruit. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta never you gotta learn how to do things like make banana bread no just none just never no i don't eat fruit what about like daiquiris do you have okay, like I'll, I'll have a daiquiri okay you get your fruit that way <laughs> okay well i'm glad that to know tonight that gina's getting her fruit through a daiquiri <laughs> all right i have our last question for tonight what is the best strategy you found to set boundaries at work? So I'm, I'm not historically the greatest at boundaries. And I think you all know this about me, um, but I do have a hard time saying no. So usually when someone asks me to do something, um, I do it. However, what I've learned has been worthwhile is asking other people to do things. And that sometimes helps me to create some of those boundaries. So for example, like... In my new role, um, one thing that I've noticed is I like to have a day off because I pack my other days really full, like 12 hours straight of meetings back to back to back. So I really enjoy having one day off of, uh, off of work a week where I don't even have to come in and I can do my greeting from home. I can work on stuff and I can spend some time with my daughter. So I have just asked for that and it's been granted. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So I, I just continue to have, uh, for me, it's Wednesdays off. And that's been a way that I I hold that boundary of Wednesday's my day to grade and to spend time with Millie. And other than that, I will be at work. Who has boundaries? Uh, I I find it really difficult to maintain those. However, since COVID, I love working at home. Uh, And I, you know, if I could do all of my meetings and all of my work at home and only have to go in to teach, I, I would be happy as a clam. 
Um, so there is that kind of physical boundary I can establish by working at home. I've got three meetings tomorrow, none of them face to face, all of them there. I'm not teaching tomorrow. So I'm at home, uh, you know, in a t shirt all day and doing my work here. Now, frankly, I get more work done here than I would if I went to the office anyways. So it's not a productivity issue. Now, that's one way of setting boundaries. The other way of setting boundaries, and that might be, and I don't know if the question is meaning this, keeping people from asking you to do stuff, you know, setting a boundary around that. I have a term I use called strategic incompetence. Um, I use it all the time. It's gotten me through 35 plus years of marriage. Ask me to fold the laundry and I will show my strategic incompetence to the point where I never have to fold laundry again. So you just have to do that a little bit. And then people uh, soon decide they can't depend on you to do the job that they want you to do the way they want it done. So strategic incompetence. Oh, right. I knew that that's what Mike was doing. Um, anyway, let's see. So I think for me, it's just kind of sounding like a broken record and just repeating my boundaries every time I'm asked to compromise them in some way. Um, I'll make compromises, but it's going to be on my terms. Um, so, for example, the office where I work, um, my Hours have changed um, with the change to our lives. And uh, they ask, hey, can you extend your hours um, and do more evening hours anyways? It, not even extend them necessarily, but just work evenings instead. And I'm like, no, no, I can't. They've asked me several times and it's it's fine. I mean, they understand it. it and it's always been OK that I can do this. It's just um, I will eventually just Right now, I can't. So I just have to keep saying no, <laughs> just being able to do that um, since it's been discussed, since it's been out there. I don't feel badly saying no. It's been understood. Um, and just with the situation now, even and, and circumstances being what they are, even a little bit more difficult to make it happen. Uh, I think that's more what it is rather than I just don't want to. But um I think you just have to keep saying things over and over um, and really be intentional when you make those compromises to your own boundaries to make sure that others don't say, aha, now I can just kind of take advantage, you know, because I see her weakness. Appreciate everybody's answers. I, I do. I do some of the things that you all have talked about. I don't do strategic incompetence. I just say no. Um, but the things about like broken record, no, I've done that to some degree as well. One of the things that I found helpful is that I've gotten pretty good at knowing how long things take me to accomplish. And so I block my time in terms of, okay, this week, this is an example this week coming up, um, my advanced skills students have turned in their third video. I know that each is going to take me about an hour to grade. That means I'm going to need about eight hours this week just for grading, which leaves me what you do the math, right? And then we have teaching that's in there. And so I have a tendency to do some blocking with my time so that when someone says, hey, can you do X for me? And it is something that I want to do and can do and, you know, will say yes to doing. I can give them a time frame to say like, oh, I can get that to you by next Friday or I can get that to you in two weeks. 
because everything can't be immediate. And I think that that's one of the things that's been challenging for me in academia is that you get these emails and everything feels immediate of like, turn it around, do it immediately. And that's not the reality. And it's also not the reality that you do them in the order in which they're received, because that's not a reality either, um, because some things do have to get bumped up in the order list um, just based on prioritization and that type of thing. So I found it pretty helpful to kind of have this blocking system. Um, and that's helped me to some degree um, to not work 70 hours a week. Um, and I've had to get a lot better at that because I used to be very poor in terms of over, you know, working far too many hours than what was reasonable. Um, in order to all the thing to do all the things that I said yes to that I likely shouldn't have said yes to. Um, and so I think I've learned some pretty big lessons around that and have, you know, tried to make the blocking system work for me to the best of my ability. Now I still get caught out where I find out, oh man, that's going to take me triple the time that I thought it was going to take either because it's a new task or it had a monkey wrench. And I still have plenty of things that are new tasks, even though I've been doing this for a minute, there's still things that are new to me, um, or I haven't done in a really long time and I get surprised. So I try to build in some like accidental time um, in case I <laughs> have to go longer than I expected, but most of the time I don't need it. So that's how. That's it for our questions tonight. Um, we've got one final shot question, uh, a quick one. This actually was supplied by Jen, but I thought it was a good question and just curious what people have to this. Uh, where did you hang out the most when you were in college? So I went to college near the beach. Um, I went to school in Malibu, California. And so you would think I would spend a lot of time at the beach, but I actually don't like the beach. So I spent a lot of time in the dorm and at the pool. I swam. So that's, that's where I was. So my school was near Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And in Portsmouth, there was this cool little place called the Friendly Toast. And it had all the best French toast, like 40 different types of French toast. And it was funky and everything. It had like just all the stuff you'd find at garage sales, decorating the place. Um, I don't know. It was really cool. And I miss it. We spent a lot of time hanging out in parking lots and just hanging out outside and talking. I went to school in Florida, so lots of year-round outdoor time. Um, we also spent a lot of time in each other's rooms and in the cafe. We had one cafeteria at my college, so everybody went there. So there were a lot of nights where you were there, you know, three, four hours because different people would come in and you'd talk to them. And then another group of people would come in, you'd talk to them. And, and then you'd end up driving around and sitting in a parking lot, hanging out, listening to music, talking more. Yeah, big times in Central Florida. For me, uh, it, it was split between places. I at, uh, When I finished my undergraduate, I had a full-time job. So, um, But I would say from undergraduate through my graduate program, I spent most of my free time at the radio station, uh, WPGU-FM in Champaign, Illinois, uh, for about six years. And if I wasn't at the radio station, I was at Bubby and Zadie's uh, at Delhi. Uh, that was on Main Street and like under the shops, you'd have to go downstairs and you just sit there and drink tea and listen to music and hang out. So that's it for our episode today. And um, thanks to the squad, Jen, Gina and Stephanie. Look for some of these characters on their podcasts on the podtalk.net. 
You can find out more about them at circularfiringsquad.net. Our theme music is from Menage en Quad, Real Swing Chet. That's it for this episode of Circular Firing Squad. Ready, fire, aim.